Welcome back to The Future Strategist, and this is going to be part two of my discussion with Greg on UFOs. In the last episode, we discussed why some of the UFOs seen by aliens might, seen by the Navy, might indeed be aliens. And in this episode, we're going to discuss the implications. What if we determine that we are being visited by aliens, or at least we determine there's a reasonable chance that we're being visited by aliens. What does that mean? What should we do? So, uh, Greg, how are you doing? Oh, all right. Uh, so, uh, what are the big implications for you? I and how how should we look at this problem, or is it just kind of hopeless? Uh well, I don't know the best way, but I can tell you ways that seem somewhat reasonable, and those most of my ideas are analogies with uh, what happened when uh, various uh, primitive or not very technically advanced people encountered uh, civilizations that uh, were ahead of them. You know, what happened to them? How did it affect them? How did they find ways to uh, to manage uh, or not manage uh, when they're running into these more powerful groups? So I, I tend to, you know, think of... Uh, you know, look at history, see if there's any analogies that are useful. They might at least suggest something. Okay, and I mean, I, my impression is that it usually went very badly for the less technologically advanced peoples. Uh, yeah, a lot of the time. Uh, some of the time it was because of factors that probably won't occur uh, unless, for example, some aliens wanted to make them happen. So, you know, the, the worst bad thing that happened to the peoples of the Americas when they ran into European civilization was infectious disease. And that was essentially accidental. Nobody on either side understood how it worked. Uh, uh, so one would think that if we had real aliens would probably be impossible uh, for anything they have to infect us if they're biochemically different. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, I mean, I, I won't say that they couldn't do something like that if they wanted to, perhaps, but uh, as an accident, I don't think it would happen. And, and that's really the worst thing that happened. It's not the only bad thing that happened, okay, but it is, it's a very, very, it was probably more severe than anything else that happened. Mm -hmm. uh, probably most of the, you know, like the Spanish, they have a bad reputation, but they were trying to conquer Indians, not exterminate them. They, their idea was they would conquer the area and they'd be, you know, nobles and uh, they'd have estates that Indians were working, farms and so forth. You know, that's sort of similar to their uh, experience when they reconquered parts of Spain. Uh, it didn't work out that way very much, but partly because the population just collapsed. Uh, but I don't think they expected that. So they wanted or to understood it, or could really do much about it. So they wanted to treat the natives the way they, the nobles in Spain, treated the Spanish peasants. Uh, well, or maybe more exactly, the uh, the Muslim peasants when they reconquered, they were a little less friendly to them. But they generally didn't try to exterminate them. I mean, 
dead men can't pay taxes. Dead men can't farm and give you a cut. Uh, I, I wouldn't say they were sweethearts, but they weren't mindlessly uh, hostile either. Of you know, course. They were, they were practical. Of course, the, the peasants did have economic value. It's not clear we would have any economic value to aliens that they might be able to create robots that could do everything we could do, but using fewer resources. Maybe. Uh, the, uh, yeah, we might not be useful. And that was something, you know, Indians were vulnerable in a way this, the Spanish didn't see coming, but they were definitely useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might not be useful. We might not, but I'm saying at minimum, I don't think we have to worry about accidentally being wiped out by disease. Uh, it were, unless, you know, it turns out that the only way for life to exist is it has to be, you know, there's only one possible way, so they have to be biochemically very similar. It doesn't seem likely to me. There's all sorts of changes that seem like they would be work just as well another way as the way, you know, for example, uh, many molecules have a, uh, are non-symmetric. Uh, they have a, a handedness, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we have, uh, w- we use right-handed sugars. Uh, may, I don't see any reason why you couldn't have some metabolism that use left-handed sugars. I mean, there are a few uh, bacteria that can handle those, but it's, you know, it's, it looks like it's probably random which way it starts. Uh, so, uh, you know, you would expect, I would expect, even if in general, uh, some sort of life from somewhere outside the solar system was, if it would, even if it was chemically kind of similar, and I expect it to be very significantly different in detail. Chris, what, it, detail. what if there was a common origin? What if, you know, single cells develop somewhere in the universe and then spread and we have... Then you'd have a better chance. Then, then at least they might want to eat us. So, you know, there's something, we, at least we'd be interesting. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, I can imagine that, but boy, it seems awfully, di- I mean, unless it's actually spaceships zipping around and they're leaving sandwiches after a picnic, uh, I would see, I don't see how it's supposed to go between galaxies. Within a galaxy, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, I mean, the, the fact that the aliens haven't, Assuming they're here, they haven't already tried to conquer us or make it really obvious that they're here. That tells us something about their intentions. Have there been historical cases where people have gone and sort of visited primitive tribes and then left or uh, hung around them a little bit? You know, in, in like, let's call semi-recent times, there have been a few examples <coughs> where there were isolated groups that people, you know, that were basically, you know, primitive tribes, that outsiders have had some restraints, sometimes a lot of restraints, and, and ended up mostly leaving them alone. Uh, now, in Brazil, for example, there are uncontacted tribes <coughs> still, but uh, there are some restraints on going in and, for example, taking their land and doing something with it. Those restraints, those restraints, those laws and things are are often violated, but there are some restraints. Uh, like a pure example would be there's one of the Andaman Islands, which are islands in the Bay of Bengal between India and Burma, where there were some very old-fashioned, very low-tech guys who lived 
there still live there's still some of them left although they've had trouble with disease and so forth but there's one island where uh, they you know basically people have very few people have visited it the general policy of the Indian government which runs these things is to not let anybody visit it uh, when people do visit the locals attack them and sometimes kill them so North Sentinel Island is a place where basically the rest of the world has, with minor exceptions from people who are essentially breaking the rules, has we decided to leave them alone. Uh, I mean, part of the history of that is that on other of the Andaman Islands, the populations had a lot of trouble with disease and other modern things like uh, whiskey. Uh, but, uh, uh, but at this island, they're just leaving them alone. Uh, and it's and, and which is probably a better thing for them. And the, there are many things they're missing out on, but they're not all getting sick uh, this way. Uh, so, but you know, there are very few examples like this. I mean, there are countries that if they had, uh, you know, some uh, primitive hunters still existing, they would probably be nice to them, but they don't have any left. I mean, there's nobody like that in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about on the in Lapland and northern Sweden? There are people Sweden who still spend a little bit. I, mean, I, I, I don't know if there's anybody who really lives the old way uh, following the uh, caribou herds. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some, but even then they've probably got portable TVs with them. You know, they probably insist on them being educated. Uh, national boundaries get in the way of migrations that used to be possible. I mean, you're either in Norway or you're Finland and Russia, and you can't just cheerfully walk across and follow the herds. And the herds are, you know, undoubtedly smaller. Uh, I, I, you know, even, that's that's a moderate, you know, that's a pastoralism. You know, that's a something that's a few thousand years old. That's not an ancient way of making a living, mm-hmm. at least not as we understand it. Well, it's actually semi-pastoralism because there the uh, the caribou or or reindeer are semi-domesticated, but, you know, there aren't many people like that. Uh, uh, and, and as I said, there, I don't think they're, you can say they're unexposed to uh, civilization. I mean, and, you know, and some of them have emigrated and uh, moved to other places. Uh, I seem to remember Renee Zellweger. So, you know, she had like a grandparent who was Sami. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, so I don't, I think they aren't all that isolated. Uh, but I think, I think that the people, look, for all I know on the Andaman Islands, they've secretly got, uh, 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 you know, they're, they're listening to satellite radio underneath the, the palm trees. I don't think so. Uh, and you know, they're the real guys who are making all the money off Bitcoin. But, uh, as far as we know, they really are guys who don't have uh, the wheel who don't who aren't literate who uh, who don't farm, okay, mm-hmm. which makes them you know that's that's pretty old fashioned, uh, and they are being left alone. But it's the thing is there are as I said there are countries that if they had a case like this they would probably leave them alone today, but uh, previous times in history they didn't think that way and there there are no such populations left. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I mean there's very I think, like uh, the uh, 
the Bushmen in um, uh, Botswana, not many of them actually make a living uh, going out and hunting and gathering. Uh, I think a few do. Sometimes it's something you do for the tourists. So, you know, there really are very few. There were more such populations 40 or 50 years ago. Uh, but right now, I mean, there are people who are fairly old-fashioned, but those old-fashioned people are likely to have cell phones mm -hmm. uh, or know somebody who does. Uh, there are exceptions. Uh, I mean, you know, the, some, the pygmies in Africa, some of them are still at least part-time hunter-gatherers. They tend to spend some of the time with local Bantu agriculturalists where they basically they do some trading of forest products and they also are kind of slaves to when uh, uh, and, and one of the reasons they interact with the Bantu is it's hard to gather enough food to survive living purely as a hunter-gatherer in a deep forest. I don't think it's impossible, but it's hard. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, any any rate, there are very few truly old-fashioned groups that are, as I said, I would imagine that European countries would leave them alone. Uh, the United States or Canada would probably leave them alone. A lot of other places wouldn't. But uh, any, anyhow, but the point is, some of these examples are interesting. Some of them you might be able to learn something from. Yeah, I wonder how useful these examples are because I think what's going on is there's limited resources, and even if a group has advanced technology, right, the population will quickly grow to the point where they'll have trouble feeding themselves, so they're going to take other people's land. And the aliens seem to have left, there are aliens out there that have left most of the universe in its natural state, so they don't, we guess they're well, not starved for resources. Maybe, but then again, we actually aren't absolutely sure what the natural state looks like. There may be significant things which are actually artificial and we haven't recognized it. But I'll say it doesn't look, it doesn't look like, uh, Various alien races have dealt with the universe the way that people have dealt with East Asia, where when you see one of these hills and there's terraced little farms that go all the way up the, the sides, the steep sides of the hills and so forth, where they're using every bit of land, it like as is true in some places like China or Korea or Japan. We don't think it's, that's what's going on. Uh, on the other hand, it's sort of hard to argue that that if you had different societies or different civilizations, that if some of them made more effective use of resources than others, they tend to become, they tend to spread. It's, right. it's a puzzle. I mean, there's lots of things about this that are a puzzle. I mean, if there are no aliens, that's kind of a puzzle, although it might be ex explicable. If, if the aliens never, uh, if they never use, uh, you know, a high fraction of all the resources, if there's never a, they're never Malthusian. It's surprising to me that that would be true, but you know, I don't understand it. It, it is because you'd think evolution would would apply, and even if some aliens said, "Okay, we're going to limit our population growth," shouldn't there shouldn't evolution have created some advanced races that are like, "Hey, we want to have as many kids as we can. Let's uh, fill up the universe." It's it's hard to see uh, the. Uh, but there still may be some lessons when weaker guys run into stronger guys, and you can. I think we can at least. It's at least a shot. I mean, it's all we've got. So it's at least in terms of experience. Right. You're trying to do these things by pure logic. Uh, you could try that too, but uh, 
I haven't found most of those things. I mean, look, most of the things by pure logic say that whatever appears to be seen, that we can't understand it at all. It doesn't fit into any real logical scheme. Because, again, if the aliens wanted to, well, they would have already had us for breakfast. And if not, what are they doing? And if they if they can go from star to star, how come they're not, you know, how come they haven't reshaped the universe to their purposes, etc.? Right. What, uh, but, you know, history, you don't have to understand it. You just have to, you know, it's there. Right. Uh, and, no, but what's happening, that it really is a reason to doubt that some of the UFOs are aliens. I mean, you can understand how life is extremely rare, so they wouldn't come here. Or maybe life is common and it would have filled up the universe. We don't see that, but that theoretically makes sense. What doesn't oh. make sense is they could come here, a few have, but they've kind of hidden, but not really. That's just... Well, it, I mean, it looks like a lot of the hidden stuff is a thing in our own head. I mean, as far as I can tell, it's been at least 15, 20 years, probably longer, where if you had not been throwing away information because you had created a story that anybody who talked about it was crazy... You probably had quite a bit of information for quite a quite a while. All right, well, let me. I asked you last episode about the probability that some of the UFOs are aliens, and you wouldn't answer. But let me see. Would you put it above fifty percent that in the last, say, the last century, we've been visited by aliens? I'm not sure. I will say the stuff that you know. If what we're hearing about swarms of things flying around carrier groups for day after day that nobody can identify, that can do things that are drastically impossible by Earth technological standards, like making multi-hundred G turns and things of that sort, then, yeah, I guess, well, it's either that or something else even stranger. I mean, there may be things we don't even have words for. Maybe uh, uh, It's something strange. Uh, so on the order of... Time travelers, or that would I would call that Atlantis, right? Atlantis, or something is real. Atlantis, we will call uh, advanced, but originating on Earth, yes. which might which might mean that they were even human, or at least close. Uh, that would be interesting, sure. Uh, but uh, uh, well, my problem is, I think that I suspect that most of the thinking, other than the first question. You know, the Fermi question. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the thinking, you know, people have tried to think hard about this. But in my experience, one thing that happens when you don't have experimental evidence and you try to think along ways, you usually end up wrong. I, I would suggest, and I don't know why it's wrong, I would suggest that a lot of the thinking that people have had, talking about the great filter, talking about, you know, some fairly ramified possible consequences, I suspect that it's all wrong for reasons that we don't know right now. Uh, I, I'd, I'd say, you know, if we have a bunch of radar, infrared, and visible from the Enterprise, that probably trumps a whole lot of things that people have that, that, that you know, and I'm not saying that these people are dumb, but I think that they, those, those uh, observations, those sensor measurements may end up telling us more than Nick Bostrom ever did. By the way, this is not – I'm not really trying to diss Nick Bostrom. Yeah. I thought about this too, but what I'm thinking is right now, probably whatever I was thinking was mostly wrong. Mm -hmm. So 
I mean, why aren't the aliens saying, hey, look, we've made it obvious to you. You guys are, for weird psychological reasons, or most of you don't seem to believe this stuff, so why don't they make it really obvious? Why don't they take over a television show? You know, why don't they... They'd have to care. I mean, Okay, so that's, I think that's important. So, I, I really, I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think the key is, they don't care what we think about them. Well, I mean, I identify with that. I don't care what people think most of the time myself. Then why are you doing this podcast with me? I mean, you must care a little bit, or you'd have better use for your time. But anyway. You'd think. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, maybe, you know, I, I, I could give you six silly reasons, but I'll save the best ones for myself. Anyway, <laughs> the... Uh, uh, so that, I mean... If they, I, I would say, hold on to the idea that experimental observations can sometimes be more valuable than theoretical speculations. Yes, although sometimes theory works, like, when, hey, we can create an atomic bomb. That was oh, yeah, but to be right. the point <laughs> is there were lots of very detailed, measurable things that that theory fit. And other than the universe looking kind of empty, that's all the actual, that and, you know, and, and apparently, you know, impossible radar measurements, those are kind of, and visual and so forth, that's kind of what we have. I'm just saying there's been a there's been a a fair amount of I thought it was a lot of it was fairly reasonable and intelligent speculation, mm-hmm. but it's perfectly possible to go wrong in a I, situation like that. I completely agree. Um, I that doesn't I, mean I know what's right. I'm just yeah. saying, you know, uh, hold on to the stuff you feel. You know, hold on to a sense experience first. All right. Uh, so. Uh, but uh, but anyhow, like you know, here's something. Uh, I was trying to make some sort of a classifications of, in a sense, how backward, or maybe more exactly, how easy it is to catch up. Uh, and I was thinking of historical examples. So, for examples, when the the Japanese, who had a you know fairly sophisticated you know uh, Chinese related civilization, when they uh, there were like two separate times they ran into the Western world. Mm-hmm. Once was back, what, in the late 1500s with the Portuguese and the Dutch. Yeah. And they uh, picked up, you know, probably the most socially important thing that happened to them was picking up uh, firearms, mm-hmm. which they adopted with wild enthusiasm. Uh, until after a while, they decided to close off contact with the outside world for quite a while. Mm-hmm. under the Tokugawa shogunate. Yeah. But uh, the point is, it was something. They were able to learn how to do what the Westerners did, at least certain important parts of it, for, you know, and they got to be perfectly confident at it. Now, in the second opening, which starts, you know, in the 1850s, where it's a more thorough opening, there they learned how to do lots and lots of things that the West did, and some of them did, you know, they pass the acid test. If you take the, the stuff that somebody else has invented and then you carry it further, yeah. that's a real strong sign you understand it. So there have been, uh, you know, there were Japanese who built a potent navy, one that could uh, contend with Western navies. Yeah. Uh, they have, well, their army wasn't that good. We'll skip that. Uh, but though in general, they were able to build a military that was comparable with Western militaries. Uh, they developed industry that was comparable, although, you know, they weren't as industrialized 
like say at the time of the Second World War. Now they probably are. They they developed and uh, extent, came up with new results in science. There have been some good Japanese mathematicians and physicists, you know, who've done new things, correct new things. There have been lots of you know very skilled Japanese inventors and technologists. Okay, so all of that stuff, you know, they could learn it. All right, but the point is that's one level. Now there were other countries that did not quickly pick up these things, and some of them never really did. On, on some of the more complicated things, some really never did at all. Uh, so, like, so anyhow, level we'll call the top level. Uh, A level is when you can rapidly learn and do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, and uh, 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 B, which is actually an interesting level, is you can copy it, but you don't really understand it. And that's, I mean, like I'm imagining that we might find very advanced technology and with tremendous effort. Like if you simply don't understand how something works, it's not absolutely impossible that in some cases you could copy it. So, for example, I have heard of guys in up in the northwest provinces of Pakistan who if you give them a bunch of steel, uh, these are basically sort of a combination of blacksmiths and some sort of, you know, jack of all trades, they can make a working AK-47. Mm. Now, I don't think they could design it. I also don't think they know how to make the ammunition, but they can make one that works in places like Peshawar. Mm. Uh, that's an interesting level. Uh, or uh, Now, another level is where you can use the technology even if you can't duplicate it. There were lots of people who found uses for Western guns and weapons even when they couldn't make them themselves. Yeah, and do we have any reasonable hope of getting hold of alien technology unless they decide to, you know, say, hey, we're here, start trading with us? Um, you know, tra- those that's two or three topics which I think we should get to in just a minute. But first I want to finish this okay. uh, talking about trade and how to, mm-hmm. how to, you know, is there any chance? And by the way, I, don't, I have no idea, but I could offer, you know, thoughts. But, uh, you know, uh, American Indians uh, liked guns, found them useful, got to the point where some of them were decent with them. Uh, but there was very little making of guns. I mean, I am not saying that, like, among the Cherokee, they didn't eventually have a gunsmith, but I've never heard of any guys in the early days ma- becoming, you know, uh, actual gunsmiths and making their own guns. I mean, there were people in the pioneer days in the United, in the United States or in the colonies who, they did make guns. You know, they were... Pennsylvania rifles, actually, sort of an improvement on some of the European rifles and so forth. But I've never heard of Indians making guns. Uh, uh, so, so that's a certain level where the guys can pick up and understand the use of it, but the building of it is 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 for some long period beyond them. Mm-hmm. There have another. What would be another? Of course, there'd be other level where you just can't understand it at all. Okay. But so, for example, like Japan has managed kind of, sort of, I mean, there have been, there were moments in which in World War II you could swear they'd forgotten some part of the stuff. They had never bothered to learn X, which X is something about a military that everybody else knew. But they knew most of it. You know, where would we be with this? And we might get, we might have be something say, yeah, we can understand it. Uh, and by the way, if it took 40 years, that's still fast by historical example, right? Uh, now, I imagine the easiest way, we, if 
if we are observing UFOs doing incredible things, then we know those things are possible. It's like learning that someone else developed an atomic bomb. Even if all you know is the atomic bomb worked, you do know it worked, and that gives well, you Well, actually, help. you know, in, in our actual timeline, they knew a whole lot more than it just actually worked. I mean, yeah. for the, I mean, even discounting espionage and complete blueprints being sent to the Soviet Union, right? Everybody knew that it involved chain reaction. You know, the basic nuclear physics, not every technical detail of the implementation, but the basic nuclear physics had all been published. Everybody yeah. knew the basics of 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 at least the physics. Uh, I mean, in a number of countries had had their own programs. You know, Britain had one that sort of got merged with the United States. France had had a program, a small one, before it was conquered. The Germans had one, although it didn't get too far. The Russians started one, in part through the war. The Japanese had one. It didn't get too far as much as anything else because of limited resources. But lots of people knew. Look, they were writing science fiction stories about the possibility. Uh, uh, all right, but... I mean, but but it it could be uh, no. Go ahead. But so, but knowing these crafts are doing things that that does provide useful information, and I wonder if it's, the Navy is transmitting that information right now, or they already have to defense contractors saying, "Hey, look, it is possible to do this because we're seeing it. Could you please help us design something that could do this?" And I think they forthrightly say, "Shit, I have no idea how to do that." Uh, but it is a kind of information that's kind of limited. Now, I have seen this treated in science fiction. My favorite version of it, uh, we, we, some prominent physicists are, uh, are, are shown a movie, which is there's some guy who's developed anti-gravity, and he's, and he's had a movie himself flying around with a backpack, and yeah. then the thing explodes, and he falls to the ground in flames, and he's killed, and nobody can make, you know, most of his notes are destroyed, and this is all they have left, they said, gentlemen, you have to figure out how to duplicate what he did. He's dead. We can't ask him. He, did, he didn't keep good notes, but he proves it can be done. And so, so they're all, so half of them say, well, that's, I don't fuck. It's impossible. I don't care what your, your stupid movie said. It's probably a lie. Yeah. And the others say, no, no, we have to look. They've shown it's possible. They stretch their minds. Eventually, a couple of them actually get somewhere. Except they say, boy, I have no idea. You know, the thing we're building is big. I don't know how they ever crammed it into a backpack. And then, of course, the guy comes in because it was all CGI. They faked it. They said, well, our idea is we convinced you it was possible. (laughs) You see, if just knowing that it's possible is a clue, then then lying to somebody and telling it's possible would be a a pseudo-clue that would be just as useful. I mean, Mm -hmm. if it is possible... You'll assume these guys will then figure out how to do it. I mean, that that seems too strong. I mean, there must be an enormous amount of information in in all these pictures we have of these crafts. I mean, if you look at it frame by frame. Anything that you know, maybe there's some hint, but uh, you know what? We we see several shapes, but they're kind of basic. You know, they nothing nothing even looks like a coronavirus, or you know, nothing is a dodecahedron or anything really cool. They're just, you know, it looks kind of like a triangle, or it looks kind of like a tic-tac, or it looks maybe like a sphere. I haven't heard anything that, I mean, maybe there's information in that, but it's not obvious to me. But how uh, it interacts with the atmosphere, how it interacts that, that and hits might, the water. That might be telling you something. Mostly it's telling you that it sounds impossible. Uh, but, uh, 
that's probably because my mind is all rigid. And maybe there is a way to do some of these things. Uh, maybe you need somebody who's young, has a flexible mind, and smokes a whole lot of dope. Mm. Uh, but uh, 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 at any, any rate, the point is there could be different levels of, uh, of difficulty in us absorbing things. Oh, by the way, there's one other I, I neglected, which is something that you can duplicate and use, and you still don't understand it at all, because it is self-replicating. The anal historical analogy is the horse. Yeah. I mean, the horse was very important to a lot of American Indians. Uh, there were uh, some in South America who really enthusiastically adopted it as well as North American Indians, and they made a big thing out of it, a big success. It changed their culture, and they learned to use a horse very well. And you could say that they understood horses just about as well as somebody in Eurasia did. Mm -hmm. I mean, neither of them had sequenced the horse genome, so obviously they were they shouldn't have actually tried to write it yet. Yeah. But uh, uh, but the Comanche understood horses, and they made good use of horses. Uh, and so so if you could find an alien artifact that could replicate itself, that might uh, and and since we know in principle that it, you can build self-replicating things by Neumann machines, and since that might be a useful thing, it might even be something what somebody with a more advanced technology might use it. Uh, that's it's not impossible. But part of the problem is I don't know that we've ever had any artifacts to look at. Uh, well, should we be trying to capture one of these crafts, or is that dangerous? I mean, I would not want to do it in a way that expressed hostility. But what does that mean? I mean, be shooting at them. I wouldn't do well, it. Okay, so we shouldn't shoot at them, but should we try to pursue them? Well, or tempt them, or, or offer them something and interesting. And see where they go. I mean, just, yeah, or well, offer You could certainly just build, you know, do more observations. Uh, but, you know, I, I was remembering, there's some Monty Python routine about the mailman being seduced. Mm -hmm. And in this one, the mailman comes to the door, and there's this scantily uh, uh, clad, very attractive woman who just gestures with her fingers come in and he's saying well this is my lucky day no he was the milkman excuse me not the mailman this is an old-fashioned thing he's uh, they mm. were still delivering milk of this story so he comes inside and she she comes to a certain room and she opens the door and, and sort of pushes him in and shuts the door and locks it and it's full of other milkmen some of them very old uh she's apparently been doing this forever so what we need to do is uh so that's one approach where we somehow produce something tempting, well, although we, could, we know nothing about what they want. No, no, we do, though, but we, we know where they go. They seem to like aircraft carriers. We figure out when they are around we, aircraft we, carriers. We leave out a bunch of aircraft carriers, kind of like a trail of breadcrumbs. Or maybe, uh, do they like aircraft carriers that have more weapons, certain type of weapons, or more atomic power? I mean, we could... The thing is, you can vary things and see if it makes any difference as yes. how interesting they are. And you can, you can vary many things. Right, um, we could keep track of all this, and then create something they really like, put lots of cameras around, and, you know... What if you could find... If they exist, if they're at all interested, if you could find something that they were interested in trading for, you know, most... Now, again, the technological gap could be very much bigger than anything we've ever seen between human groups. Like yeah. I said, the biggest technological gap we've ever been aware of would be that between the skies of North Sentinel Island and, uh, you know, modern people, you know, with a 
with an uh, 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 with an iPhone today. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's about as big as it gets. But I mean, I don't think it's impossible. Well, I mean, I mean to be blunt about it, if there was a scantily clad Andaman Island girl on the beach and she beckons some modern American who's got every technological gadget known to man, she'd have a fair chance of getting him to land on the beach. She would, but we really shouldn't assume sexual attack, attraction will work across different races. I'm not, I'm no, not, real, I'm not real confident of that, but it, it does show that in humans it, uh, it, it's fairly potent. Uh, the, uh, although, you know, like one, one, one possibility is that uh, uh, they have already been doing things to influence our culture, and there are certain very odd things that are already the product of alien influence that might actually encourage us to think that they might be interested in such things. But we won't go into that. Uh, Well, the Japanese do all the time. Uh, So. uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think they're talking about. You're a bad person. I don't think the Japanese have a theory where they're connecting it directly to aliens. Well, that's because they don't have a lot of imagination. That's my job is to say, why do they do that? Why? I said, well, they're, you know, aliens. What else? Anyway. But uh, I mean, if the aliens are watching us, and they're watching, they're not just watching us at random. That means our behavior can affect their behavior. It, it means they could, we could do something or be interesting in some way. And certainly, you know, one thing you do is you can vary things and see if you can find things that are more interesting. You know, that's a perfectly reasonable thing. Right. Uh, uh, maybe I don't know. Uh, the, uh, uh, but uh, another thing is like if their technology is. Uh, breakable, and it might not be, mm-hmm. or or not you know enough that would help us. But you know, if you simply had something crash sometime, that could be. Although again, you'd think they just recover it probably, but you know, it's at least a possible route. Maybe also, not. Right? They could be indifferent to us, and they have craft that are fairly reliable, but not a hundred percent reliable. And when something breaks, they just leave it there, just like you know, it could be like a, an American. Tourist on a safari, you know, you drop Coke bottles because who cares, you know, and be useful to pick something like that up. Your pocket calculator stops working, so you throw it in the trash. Yeah, or you just throw it in the ground. You litter because so what? You're if you're indifferent to the people who live there. Uh this could become the basis of our whole technology. I remember reading uh, there was a guy who makes a living fishing out the electronics out of Zuckerberg's garbage and reselling it. <laughs> Maybe we could hope for something like that to happen to us. You'd think uh, he'd have better security than that, but... Maybe he doesn't care. Why yeah. should he? I mean, unless he leaves stuff on it, which, I mean, you'd think, uh, you'd think that if there's anybody who knows about uh, the, the problems of privacy invasion, it would be the king of it. I mean, I, he would just be afraid that someone would put something on it and claim it was his. Uh, and then blackmail maybe he's, him. Maybe he's just... You know, feel sorry for the poor guy who's mm. who's you know making enough to scrape by by you know res, you know reselling his junk. I mean, I mean, if I had you know eighty billion dollars, I I'm like I feel sorry for some people already. I'm, I wouldn't go out of my way to push them around. Uh, uh, but uh, but but I have heard that happens. I, that's all I know. Okay. Uh, but uh, the the thing is, you know, if we found something, question is. Again, could we learn from it? Could we use it 
even if we can't understand it, could we duplicate it, or some aspects of it, even if we couldn't understand it very well, certainly worth a try. Now, as long as now you said we shouldn't try to like break the chips, but the, why not? What are the odds that the aliens would attack us? That if we tried to shoot something down or to cause something to break? Well, I think most likely it wouldn't have any effect, which then they might not be very mad at. But if by some weird chance we succeeded, I would prefer not to initiate. Well, Look, I mean, that's hardly anybody I really feel like initiating hostilities with when they haven't done anything. But, I mean, it's almost certainly there's nothing alive in there. There's almost certainly just computer equipment. I mean, maybe the computer programs are alive somehow, but right, it's it's very like they think they are. Yeah, well, probably the same thing. Uh, I mean, if we shot at it, we would learn something from how it reacted. There's a chance we could break it. The worst that would possibly happen is they'd you know, vaporize every everything on Earth instantly. Maybe they'll uh, vaporize if we don't attack them. Maybe we're showing we're wimps. I mean, how do you know? Maybe it's like the, the, the wolf that, I don't know. I know plenty of examples of contact between Europeans and fairly backward peoples where uh, when you, uh, and by the way, there was sometimes trouble when you didn't ask for it, yeah. okay? Uh, like uh, Captain Cook is a fairly interesting example because he was mainly interested in exploration, which is why he's out in these odd corners of the world. He's not mm-hmm. trying to get anything from the locals except knowledge. And uh, maybe sometimes that would include things like seeds or something. But, you know, he's not trying to kidnap them. He's not trying to enslave them. He's not trying to steal their stuff. Uh, but there were still times he ran into trouble, yeah. uh, uh, which is like, you know, like the Hawaiians, for example, killing him. That's, we'll call that trouble, right? Uh, there were other kinds of trouble. Now, some of those we might not have to worry about because, again, you know, there would be, you know, sexual questions between his crew and the local Polynesian women, and and it seems kind of unlikely that that would happen with aliens. But uh, unless they're from Atlantis, uh, you know, some hidden uh, ancient advanced Earth civilization or something. Uh, but oh, but it took odd forms. I mean, even just wanting different things like. Uh, uh, the in Tahiti, the locals they found they thought iron was useful, which it is, and they didn't have any. And so uh, you would have a pretty girl would offer to screw you all night for a nail, mm-hmm. and this was a tempting offer to British uh, sailors who had been at sea for you know nine months or something. And but but uh, Captain Cook was concerned that it would involve all the nails being pulled out of the ship, and the ship would disintegrate. Uh, so uh, he he tried to restrict this. I think the only thing that really worked was leaving. Uh, but uh, uh, at any rate, uh, yeah, I mean, the key thing is, can you find, I would prefer never to start, look, if they, look, if they want to cause trouble, they will. But there are certainly many times in history in which the locals made trouble more likely by doing something, for example, like... Uh, uh, killing a visitor, well, or what about eat, what, eating him, or something. What, but Sentinel Island has managed to keep its independence in part, probably through being extremely this is violent. Ah, uh, true, true. But it was also because it was small and unimportant and not terribly inviting. Well, um, it's probably what Earth is to aliens. Maybe, maybe. Uh, 
But yeah, the Sentinel Island strategy. Yeah. Anytime an alien ever steps out and says, uh, you know, I come in peace, take me to your leader, you shoot him immediately. I guess that's one possible strategy. I think it's dubious. For every Sentinel Island, I know of many examples where, uh, you know, somebody who was not super malignant, uh, the locals turned on them, and a whole lot of locals ended up dead at the end. There were plenty. Now, you know, there were Spanish explorers who would always cause trouble. You know, people who were first impulse was to shoot. Mm-hmm. Well, there, but there were a good number of others that wouldn't. Uh, and uh, But they, they would usually change their tune if, you know, they landed some people and they talked for a while and then the locals suddenly attacked them. Now, sometimes that happened. I think on the whole it turned out, I mean, of course, you know, if we're talking about American Indians, everything turned out to be a mistake because there is no real solution. I mean, the fundamental thing was any contact, even fairly friendly contact, had disastrous well, uh, because of disease. I'm, I'm going to assume for the moment that's not a problem with mm-hmm. uh, aliens that are likely to be biochemically different, if mm-hmm. they exist at all. Uh, but uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I would think that you know, acting moderately friendly is something that is often useful in this world. Uh, I, mean, right. I can think of all sorts of examples of, of people who even just randomly kicking primitive people versus other people who didn't uh, had interesting outcomes that did not favor the assholes. I would not want to be one. I mean, on the other side, though, we might pick up technology that allows us to survive and we're more likely to get artifacts if we start trying to damage things to stop things from disappearing when we chase it. I would say that a more, again, I don't know if it would work, but what would appeal to me more was trying to find some way to do something they found interesting. Yeah, I, we, we should definitely do that, but if that doesn't work or we can't find any patterns, maybe we shoot lasers at these things and you know, we could say, hey, we're sorry, we'll stop. Just ask us to stop. We definitely will. But, you know, if you're not going to talk you to first. us. I mean, you I, first. I, I we, we should, yeah, I mean, look, we could send out, I mean, as Mesh is saying, look, we think there's a, a high chance these are just automated machines that have no moral value. So we're going to be trying to knock one down. If we're wrong, tell us. We promise to respect whatever you care about. But in the absence well, of know, any information, example, we're going to try to get some artifacts. What was it? A couple of years ago, we had a fairly sophisticated drone flying over the Persian Gulf or Iran, mm-hmm. and the Iranians shot it down. And our demented uh, defense secretary, John Bolton, thought that that would be a good reason to have an attack <laughs> on Iran. And But, uh, but he wanted to attack Iran before that. So that of course he did. <laughs> By the way, I still don't know why, but of course he did. Anyhow, but an older, wiser, and, you know, generally reasonable person vetoed it. Yes. Uh, so what you're saying <laughs> is you want to adopt a policy that's uh, definitely more aggressive and, in my view, crazier than Donald Trump, each to his own. Uh, <laughs> Donald Trump said, look, nobody got killed. He's responding the way you hoped they would, right? Yeah. And he says it wouldn't be proportionate to go and, blow up a lot of people just because a drone is, is shot down. Uh, yeah. So uh, another reason some people didn't like him, uh, at least why John Bolton didn't like him, uh, yes. that's for sure. Uh, 
So, you know, ask yourself in a situation like this, what would Trump do? Try to do it something at least that sensible there. Uh, but I can also tell you, I can think of a lot of other people I think would have agreed with me. But as I said, you, I mean, it involves things we don't know. I mean, for all I know, they won't respect us unless we kill some of them. Yeah. I mean, that, look, that's a real thing that's happened in history. Like, you know, there were groups of people who, uh, you know, American Indians got a certain amount of respect because they fought. They resisted. Uh, sometimes fairly effectively. Of course, they also got a lot of hatred because their way of resisting usually didn't obey any, you know, there were certain European customs about, that were at least occasionally adhered to about how to, you know, we'll call them, you know, the primitive roots of the uh, Geneva Convention. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, American Indians didn't, didn't obey the same rules. Yeah. I mean, by the way, I'm not saying Europeans always did, but at least sometimes they did. Uh, and uh, there were things the Indians would do that would leave uh, the Europeans rather infuriated. Uh, but in general, I would uh, I would like not want to be the first guy to start trouble. Although, I mean, what are the temptations here? If you, I mean, particularly, what what if you had some indications? Uh, there are things that would shape your decision. Like, let's suppose you had indications these guys had technology and you felt like you you might be able to understand it as opposed to something that's indistinguishable from magic. Mm-hmm. That would be more tempting to steal. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, if you steal something and all you and you can't do anything with it because it's too far beyond you. Yeah, you get then all you get is the downside, whatever that may be. I mean, they might be angry at you and, uh, you know, subject you to a death of cancer and volcanoes or something. Uh, the, uh, I, but, but, but as I said, you know, you would want to rethink it if you said, boy, I'm pretty sure we can, uh, we could understand this and we could just get a, a couple of examples of it. You know, there might be things of that sort, uh, that would shape your thinking. But as I, I generally, I'd be real reluctant to do it. Uh, uh, but I guess if I knew I would get away with it, and I didn't kill a whole lot of aliens, like I did, like ideally I wouldn't kill any of them. Man, who knows? Maybe they'd get upset about theft. I would. Uh, the, uh, you know, there have been explorers. I mean, be partly because if there's too much theft, maybe you can't leave. Maybe you've lost something important. Uh, you know, that was what was happening with James Cook. He's saying, I can't actually have a ship where they pulled out every single nail. Uh, the, uh, there have been other cases where, uh, uh, what was it? I'm trying to remember the name. I think these are the, uh, you know, there's island, the Marianas. Mm-hmm. That's a place, uh, the Magellan, sh- you know, he was the first European to visit them. But he called them, I think it was some of those islands. Guam is one of those islands in that group. But he called them, you know, the island, the ladrones, you know, the Isle of Thieves, because they tried to steal everything on his ship. Now, he didn't actually start shooting at them, but he left as soon as he could, and he didn't like them. Uh, I mean, I mean, sometimes I think of, um, uh, I mean, there, here's another analogy. Uh, Zanzibar used to be an independent country, uh, the island off of, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it was off of Tanganyika, uh, which is now Tanzania when the two, basically when Tan, 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 the mainland conquered the island back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that island was originally, you know, a state ruled by Arabs. It was sort of a, a trading, but mostly a slave trading state. Okay. And, uh, there was a time in which the British decided they didn't like that. And, uh, one thing that happened is the British sent, you know, the equivalent of a battleship of the time. It was like about 1780 or something. And they said, we have declared war on the assault native Zanzibar. I think that war lasted about 80 minutes before the, the guys in Zanzibar surrendered. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, they have this battleships shooting at them. And what the hell can they do about it? Well, uh, I mean, well, I, yeah. that might be a good thing to learn how to do. Surrender. That's a useful tactic. Well, no, I, that'd be part of the strategy. I mean, we say, we tell them, hey, look, we're going to try to capture your ships. <laughs> tell us to stop. And then if after we attack them, they'll do something that makes we should back off, we just clearly back off. We immediately surrender. But we say, look, we're, right now we don't really know what the rules are, so we're going to do what seems to be in our interest to take something, take these artifacts. If something crashed, uh, you know, part of it is, uh, I'll tell you, well, actually, I'm not sure of this. I know, like, for example, let's suppose some aliens crashed. I can tell you what the the Navy impulse in the long run would be to do to, with those bodies. They might actually examine them closely. They might dissect them. But you know what they'd end up doing? They'd bury them. Yeah. I mean, they would try to do what, by our customs, is what we would expect others to do. In a, you know, if we lost some guys somewhere, uh, but, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't make them into, uh, they wouldn't mock them, they wouldn't, you know, yeah. uh, for example, like, when we had, what, Project Azorian, we were trying to, uh, lift up a sunken Soviet, Soviet nuclear submarine. Mm-hmm. That is, it had nuclear weapons, I don't believe it had a nuclear power plant, but it had some nuclear torpedoes that had sunk in the mid-Pacific, you know, the Glomar Explorer, the, uh, Howard Hughes thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they found part of it, if not all of it, and one thing they did was they buried the Russian bodies they found, and they filmed it and told the Russians, they said, look, we treated you with pretty much the same respect we would do anybody else that we, you know, that we found the bodies of, but from, you know, sailors, you know, we, we treat, you know, we didn't sit around and figure out elaborate ways to be assholes. Yeah, well, that but, makes sense. Uh, but I kind of think it generally makes sense. Uh, but, Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe. The aliens are not going to have squishy biological bodies, so that just—it's so much more likely that it'll be if, if it's an intelligent I, 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 I see them as having firm biological bodies, uh, but everybody to his own imagination. I, I would be friendly and cautious to, in every possible way I could be, but you know that's just me. Uh, but I've seen many a case where that worked out better in the long run. Uh, well, you know, no, this is an example, and who knows if it is appropriate, but in World War II, uh, you know, the people who lived in the, um, uh, part of this island group, you know, the island group that Guadalcanal is a part of, the Solomon Islands. Mm-hmm. You know, some of those guys are pretty backward, although they had agriculture. You know, they were, for a long time, have been isolated from the rest of the world. They weren't very modern. They were just picking up some things. You know, those islands were controlled by British and Australians, and who were basically acting fairly benign, trying to fight, keep the locals from fighting each other, fight some of the local diseases like malaria, put out some education and medical care. Okay, so when the Japanese show up, their idea of the reasonable thing to do would be to uh, uh, 
like go to a native village and stick bayonets at people because they were bored. Yeah. And that turned out to be very ineffective because shortly after that, uh, you know, we developed a program of leaving uh, guys with radios on some of the islands between the main Japanese base and Guadalcanal. They would, the coast watchers, they would, they could tell us if there were Japanese planes coming. They had greater range than any radar. Mm-hmm. And because the range was so extreme, the Japanese had to fly in pretty much a straight line because it was kind of maximum range from their main base at Rabaul. Mm-hmm. And so we would have an hour of warning, which was just what we enough that our planes could get up to a high altitude and be ready every time they were coming. And that meant that we needed that because their planes, the Zero, was the superior plane. Often with better trained pilots, we needed all the advantages we could get. And what would happen is we'd be fighting over our own base with warning. Um, that The warning helped. Uh, when we were shot down, often we were landing near the base, so we, the plane is often recoverable and the pilot is often okay. When they were damaged, they'd land in the jungle somewhere between Guadalcanal and Rabaul. Mm-hmm. Then the locals would kill them because the locals were tired of being used for bayonet practice. Yeah. I mean, six months before, they'd had no opinion about the Japanese at all, because they'd never met them. Uh, but they had a mildly favorable opinion of the uh, of the Brits and the Australians, and they, and they ended up with a fairly favorable idea of the Americans, because the Americans didn't stick bayonets in them either. And, you know, even beating up on people who seem weak and backward, it's actually not necessarily very practical, let alone immoral. But uh, not that I'm saying we'd be beating up on weak and worthless aliens, because obviously if they exist and they get here, they're more powerful than us. But, you know, I think I would accept as a last resort. But anyhow, enough of that. All right, I'm the wimp. You will be the, you know, the Machiavellian. Oh. Well, part of it is I'm. I think there's a decent chance we're on track to destroy ourselves. So. So you think it's we're kind of in a hurry to try to to uh, do something and make things different? Uh, yeah, I think it's worth some risk to get some better technology because I think our current course looks pretty bad. Are you sure that better technology wouldn't increase the risk? Uh, no, I'm, I'm actually not. That is definitely a problem. But I want to increase maybe the variance of what happens. Uh, well, that's an interesting point of view. Uh, uh, but, uh, I mean, I don't see us as, in, you know, in the real near term getting ready to run out of resources and have civilization fall or anything. Oh, no, that, I don't think so either. Like that. I think we're going to create unfriendly computer superintelligences or use biological or atomic weapons to destroy And your idea is perhaps, for all you know, that's why they came, because we're fun to watch. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's an interesting time uh, for us. Uh, well, I mean, you know, living in interesting times is, you know, it's a boon for observers, but it's kind of a curse for the people who experience it more often than not. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, they could have motives that we can't imagine. But again, again, looking at an analogy between advanced civilizations and technologically poor civilizations, how they interact, um, you know, one of the interesting things that can sometimes happen, and this is interesting, is sometimes a technologically backward civilization is particularly good at modernizing. 
right. so for example, uh, 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 for example, you know, uh, Indian American Indian civilizations varied a lot in sophistication. You have uh, groups that have cities and agriculture. Some metallurgy were starting to develop writing systems in Central America. Mm-hmm. You have other guy. You know, there's other people who were uh, sophisticated. You know, you had intermediate farmers that didn't have states. You had uh, farmers that were nothing close to a state. You had some groups that were only hunter gatherers. Some of them sophisticated, like the Eskimo, but some of them not very sophisticated. Okay, there was a group, uh, basically a, a fraction of the Shoshone, probably up around, originated somewhere around the Snake River, that was considered unusually backward. They didn't even farm, where you know many uh, other American Indian tribes did. And but when the horse showed up, they adopted and adapted to it more completely than anybody else, partly because they didn't have to compromise very much because. They didn't need to keep thinking about their farm. They didn't have any. Those were the guys who were the Comanche. Uh-huh. And they were better at becoming horse nomads than anybody else. Better at it. Uh, I mean, the, the first people who really made use of the horse and, you know, had it, were big success with it was not the most advanced civilizations in the Middle East. It wasn't the Babylonians. It wasn't the Egyptians. It's the Indo-Europeans who are, Basically, you know, they're probably hunter-gatherers that did a little bit of farming, but were kind of not real close to the main, you know, the more sophisticated parts of the world in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Uh, or an, another group later that became very potent. Uh, I mean, the Mongols, you know, they, they weren't, you know, they weren't the most advanced guys in East Asia, but they but they were better with, they were better at being horse nomads than anybody else. The Tur- their only rivals were the Turks. The Turks, probably not too, you know, like there were Mongol tribes that were hunter-gatherers that didn't even farm at all. Marakits and some of those people. Uh, uh, but uh, another one way of looking at it is the transition uh, to uh, uh, either hunting, you know, the tra- tradition to living on horseback is more attractive to people than the trans to hunter-gatherers than the transition to being a farmer, and some of them are very good at it. Yeah. I don't know if that would apply, though, with alien technology. Well, I don't know. But, you know, for all you know, the aliens gradually and slowly got up to something, uh, and there's a lot of intermediate customs they have that actually get in the way of them being fully adapted to their technology, and we could be so backward we don't even know all the complicated reasons that you shouldn't just do the obviously right thing. I guess there is some, I mean, they're, they're not making full use of their technology. They're not grabbing all the resources they can, turning universe into factories for whatever they want to produce. So there's something holding them back, assuming they're out there. And maybe that wouldn't hold us back. Uh, yes, I mean, maybe they have principles. This could be our big advantage. <laughs> We'd yeah. have fewer or not. Uh, but, uh, uh, no, in, you know, in science fiction, uh, you know, this this idea of, you know, you run into aliens, what are some of the things you might run into? You know, it's it's been done many, many times. Some of the people thinking about it were, were intelligent people, had some interesting thoughts. Some of them were just having fun, and some of them were, you know, hacks. But uh, it's possible that you could at least get ideas on ways to approach things that way, too. I, I would say, you know, I like looking at, you know, how, but, like, again, one of the things that, uh, I should point out is I was talking about different levels of technological sophistication, like 
A, you can learn it. B, you can copy it. C, you can at least use it. Right. right? Uh, there. Um, but the question also talk about the consequences. I mean, there were local balances of power could be radically changed if one group starts having access to anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, of the more advanced technology. Like Eskimos are, uh, are not actually uh, teddy bears. Uh, and uh, they were a group that had expanded pretty rapidly, in many cases replacing other groups along the northern edge of Canada. Uh, they had a very effective method of uh, basically hunting seals and some other things that was better than what people had done before. But they were also, in some places, they were expanding down into Canada, and they were pushing back, um, let's say, more traditional Amerindian tribes. But that got reversed because those Indian tribes to the south got access to guns through the Hudson Bay Company, you know, trading for furs. Mm. They got access to guns earlier than the Eskimos did. And the Eskimos mm-hmm. had been beating them, but that turned around. Or an example, uh, you know, Ethiopia was uh, you know, a Christian state surrounded by Muslims. Yeah. And now and then when the Muslims were in the mood, they had a lot of trouble. There was a time, I think, when was this, the 1400s sometime, in which Muslim groups conquered almost all of Ethiopia. But then the Portuguese showed up. And they were better at this. They had better cannon and so forth. And they helped the Ethiopians uh, kick them out. Uh, so, you know, having somebody technologically advanced can completely turn things around. You know, who has access to the new weapons? Well, that means we need to get the artifacts before the Chinese do. Uh, maybe that's why the Navy is keeping the secret. They want the Chinese and Russians and maybe the British to think this is just silliness. And their own pilots who report seeing this are insane while... Well, you know, I don't really know if the Navy as a whole thinks anything at all. It's a lot of different people. And even the people who you would think of as decision makers, you know, they have limited, you know, their, their options are limited. They, you know, they have, you know, it's Congress that determines what money they get. Yeah. It's appointed civilian guys who, you know, who may be totally uninterested in this for, for all, as far as I can tell. Uh, uh, but still, you know, it's not impossible that they're thinking about things like this. Uh, and the other thing is, there are things that you could make them think about it a whole lot more. Suppose we found Gadget X, and we, and either because all by itself it was very potent, or because we could make more of them, or because we could at least learn something from it that allow us to make, you know, kind of a half-assed version of it or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we could now do things nobody else could do. Uh, by the way, this is, this is of course kind of an argument. These things, again, to, which look as if they exist are unlikely to be some breakthrough by Russia and China because you, or, or any other major state, because you'd think they'd be tempted to at least say, uh, hey, United States, uh, would you please bend over and, 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 and convenience us in a couple of interesting ways? Uh, I mean, even if you had a country that was, that had, you know, read plenty of stories about, you know, the vanity of ambition and, you know, how overweening ambition eventually leads to your destruction. They'd still want to at least get something out of it, right? Even if they actually didn't quite try to conquer the world. Yeah. But I haven't seen anybody doing much of anything. Uh, uh, I mean, I see countries doing things that make sense in the context of that they have no such technology. Uh, but the point is it could change things. 
but, you know, there are things about this that are so weird it's hard to explain. Like, let's suppose we had something, you know, utterly revolutionary. We had found an artifact. We could learn something from it. I'm not even sure that we'd do it. Yeah. I mean, I kind of think we would, but, for example, if we, there are things where we wouldn't, I've known people who explained to me that if, if say, Russia had had this device that was superior to anything we had, we wouldn't copy it because it was Russian. <laughs> nobody would want to copy a Russian thing, even if it worked better. No, we weren't talking about having being magically superior. But uh, and this was paired with other things, like somebody was talking about something that actually was kind of strikingly superior, and I had a friend who was at a meeting where they were discussing it. It was a Russian torpedo that would go at 200 knots. Mm-hmm. And there was a simple reaction from everybody in the room. That's impossible. It wasn't impossible. Uh, later, uh, in the 90s, after the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, we got talking to some people who have been involved, and they told us how it worked. And it did work. Yeah. And uh, uh, now that had a couple of consequences. One is I think we are at least doing some work to try to build something using this idea uh, which is technically called a super cavitating torpedo. But, uh. No, wait, is also, the, does this yeah. torpedo, is this evidence that maybe what we're seeing are aliens? I mean, were the Russians, if this torpedo had this been seen when Russia first developed it, would we have thought, oh, look, this must be aliens? Because we couldn't possibly do it in 50 years or something. I don't know. Uh, I can tell you how the idea, if you have, uh, this is something that like happens with propellers, particularly if they're poorly designed. Sometimes when you're move, turning them through the water, they move in a way so they kind of make a bubble. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and they don't like to do that because it tends to gradually damage the propeller. So you tend to you try to design propellers so that doesn't happen. You try to avoid cavitation. If it was a submarine or something, you also would avoid it because it makes noise mm-hmm. when the bubble collapses. But uh, the super cavitating torpedo, I mean, I think there's probably a wiki on it. But what it does is it it's the the nose is shaped to deliberately make these bubbles so that there's like a film of gas around it most of the time rather than water, mm-hmm. and it still takes a lot of power. This thing actually has a rocket engine, but yes, it can go 200 knots, which is more than 200 miles an hour, which is pretty impressive for a torpedo. Uh, and uh, now we heard about this because there were some people who were willing to talk after the fall of the Soviet Union. Although this stopped after a while. For example, as I understand it, the particular guy who told us about this, uh, uh, somebody named Putin uh, heard about it and had him shot. Uh, When things were tightening up a bit again after, um, because there was this period of a few years in which many things were possible. You could uh, look at many things in Russian archives. A lot was learned but not everything. And then after a while, it got closed out again. So, uh, hmm. but at uh, any rate, the, uh, uh, as I said, there are different levels, but the point is if you could get access or, or, or trade for or be given for their own weird reasons, uh, you know, it's perfectly possible that they, they could completely reverse things we think of as the balance of power. Yeah, definitely. And so it doesn't I, have to be in any way that's obvious. I mean, it might be that the new guys who rule the world are somebody because the only advantage they have is they manage to get access to this stuff, 
and and we would never have thought of them as a power at all before. Yeah. So I don't think you can come up with examples of that. So right, this makes it, I mean, really important for the United States. We 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 well, should be trying to get these to we contact try, aliens. Yeah, we should be trying to get it. Although again, I would prefer to avoid infuriating them in the process, or doing anything close to that. Well, we, um, yeah, I mean, we should at least study what they do and influence their if, behavior. If there's and, ways to try to come up with something that makes us seem more interesting or attractive or something, yeah. We don't but, have to, yeah. we, I mean, getting to interesting is, is important. We just have to look at how do they respond to what we do. Maybe. Uh, the But uh, let me think. Uh, oh, yeah, it can be terribly important, but but that doesn't mean we could, you're like, all right, logic says if this is real, they have advanced technology of some kind. Uh, logic and history say, you know, if you had access to this and somebody else doesn't, it could radically affect the relative position of various groups that exist right. today on Earth, various nations, things of that sort. Uh, would, uh, would this immediately be obvious to the powers that be? And the answer is, of course not. Nothing, yeah. nothing, I, uh, other than that it is Friday and, uh, and, uh, 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 girls are getting beers cheaper during happy hour is obvious to the powers that be. I mean, the things that are outside people's, uh, lived experience, the vast majority of people are terrible at even thinking about it. And, and if we haven't, Surely that's a thing that we have really learned in the past year. If we, if we didn't know it before. Now, when we were warning people about COVID, we we failed. Although some people did say they took some precautions because of our podcast, but we certainly failed in our general desire to. Well, you know, I, but maybe I didn't, here. I didn't actually expect, say, the uh, the Prime Minister of Great Britain or the uh, the the uh, President of the United States or people below them. To be to all spend their spare time listening to us. I mean, I think they might have benefited if they did, but I didn't expect it. No. I do know. I mean, the closest I can think of is uh, I knew people who knew uh, Dominic Cummings yeah. who listened listened to us. Uh, he may have heard of us. I don't. I haven't got any reason to think well, he actually. But but I'll tell you the way he was thinking was something we would have found comprehensible. Well, you, I mean, us, but more more you is more of you that you did gain credibility of COVID, and maybe this is a way we could try to spend some credibility to say, look, this UFO stuff. We should be trying to figure out what the UFOs are doing, try to influence them. This this is one of the biggest well, things we should you be know, doing. Think, to, you should always think of what comes from failure as well as success. I mean, yeah. let's suppose we tried to look. You know, we tried to do a couple of things that whatever would seem to be associated with them hovering around, we tried to do some more of it. Uh, I, most of those things, I don't think they'd have any real cost. Right. Uh, if, uh, if there was, you know, we could say, well, what if we put these, fly these two types of airplanes, both of them next to a carrier? You know, we could do that. There's no cost to it. Uh, most of the things I could think, or if somebody says, we really actually have something we think is an artifact, I'd said, well, what I would say is put your best people on it as opposed, you know, we have, the Air Force has a group called the Foreign Technology Division, and they mostly try to, you know, reverse engineer somebody else's air-to-air -air missile or something like that, and they might well not be the best people. Yeah. 
Uh, I can tell you some of the ones who would be the closer to the best people, at least in some senses. You know, the Jasons, uh, the sort of people that, you know, Nobel Prize caliber types that the government used to go to advice for. They've almost stopped doing that, although I think they did find a little money for the contract oh, a no, couple no. Of years ago. What we should do is once you've established, if you've established as an alien artifact, you auction it off to, you know, it has to be Americans who buy it. And the, the organization willing to pay the most is probably the one who will make the best use of it. Well, you could do that all you want, but I certainly <laughs> wouldn't sell it to them. Yeah, yes, why not? That's a, that's the best signal. Because if Apple pays see, more than no, Google. The best, signal, the best signal is to let me have it. Because I am on the side of the United States. I might not be the ideal person to investigate it, but I am on our side. Right. And, uh, like, do I feel confident that is the case of the people running, say, uh, uh, Google? No, I don't. All right, well, that is another consideration, but... It is a very important consideration. Like, do, you know... Is the very first, second, third thing they think is, you know, this is my country and I intend to protect it. Uh, if assuming I have, you know, anything to say about it at all, which mm. normally I don't. Uh, but if I did, I'd say yes. Uh, and do I feel that is the case for a? There's a whole lot of people in the United States I don't feel have. I mean, a lot of them would even feel contempt for anybody who felt old-fashioned patriotism. Yeah, well, fuck them. <laughs> I would. Pre- By the way, I would also be very reluctant to, for example, if we had some technological edge, I wouldn't actually be terribly interested in telling everybody the rest of the world what to do. But I would, you know, I would, I would be, you know, I wouldn't do much. I mean, I might, if we could have new industries, sure. If we could explore the solar system or further, sure. Uh, you know, tell the Chinese how to brush their teeth. No. Yeah, but we should get the Chinese and Russians not to point atomic weapons at us. That I oh, be, I might be interested in something like that. That's but kind of important. In, you know, a lot of people have the impulses. My job is to tell, if I ever get the chance, is to tell everybody on Earth what to do. And my impulse, most of the time, would not be that. Okay. Okay? So, you know, the other thing is, would, would I think that it was sort of lower class and uh, old-fashioned and, and potentially fascist to want to protect the United States? I said, no, I think that would be a good thing. Yeah. So that would mean that, you know, I would be, I mean, I can think of, you know, certainly the typical Ivy League professor would think, you know, that was, what? Why would you consider people in the United States more valuable than people anywhere else? By the way, I'm not talking about aggressing against them. I'm just saying, if it was up to me, I would want us to do well and be safe. All right. It says, I have picked a side. Okay. Without so, particular hostility to the rest of the world. All right. But before we get there, we actually have to get the artifact or somehow communicate oh, sure. with the aliens. And that, that really needs to be the focus. You know, like, what, what, one of the very interesting things would be to find out, are they interested in others? I mean, that's another part of the picture. If they are not, like, maybe they love aircraft carriers. I can't imagine why. Uh, but, you know, the Russia has, like, basically doesn't have any. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they built one, kind of a, you know, sort of a half-assed one. I think they sold it to India. Uh, China's building a couple, although they're kind of, you know, you know, let's call them first-cut aircraft carriers. I mean, you know, if you if you if this is real, it seems likely that other countries would have experiences with it, 
and and trying to find out what those experiences were could be illuminating. So there could be an international effort to pool all the data, maybe publicly release it, have people look for patterns, then try to maybe make I mean, experiment. Yeah, I could, there are countries that would talk to us if assuming that they have anything to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, like I have, you know, we'd probably get the Brits to talk to us. The French would, of course, come up with some reason not to talk to us, even if all humans on Earth were threatened together. Uh, the uh, I, I don't think it'd be entirely impossible that the Russians are Chinese. Uh, but uh, although, I mean, in a sense, I think the Chinese would find this whole idea very frustrating. You see, a world without anything like this happening, they can probably see a path to becoming the major power in a few yeah. years. And and this is such a wild card that you couldn't tell what was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, however, it's not like, you know, if it's there, it's there. So, you know, uh, you can't throw a hissy fit and make it go away. Uh, but it would be, I would say from the viewpoint of Z, if to the extent this is real, if it really is aliens, he'd find it frustrating. Yeah. I mean, there were... Although, I mean, Z is not going to live long enough for China to be the world's dominant power, and but he might live long enough to play a critical role in uncovering aliens. Isn't he in his sixties? I we could probably. Oh, I don't know. If he made it to his eighties, he might see it. I mean, you know, one thing is, you know, most people don't understand how much industry China has, um, because that it would involve numbers of some sort. For example, off the top of your head, how much steel do you think China produces? Yeah, I, I imagine Compared a lot of units. How much more than the United States? Just, you know, I don't know, four, four times more. You're not, you're in the ballpark, it's five or six. But see, that's not, it was never like that with the Soviet Union. There were times in which the Soviet Union, at its industrial peak, produced a full 20% more than the United right. States. It was yeah. never five or six times more. I, you know, I agree. China, I mean, economically, is doing very well, and they could be much economically stronger than us in 20 years from now. But and uh, unlike the Soviet Union, they didn't have, they weren't dedicated enough to a non-working economic philosophy that they would actually stick to it and mess up important parts of their economy. Yeah. The Chinese are, yeah, I don't think, I think I'm sure there's things they could do better. I think that's true of everybody. But they're not doing anything like deliberately screwing up agriculture the way the Russians did. Yeah. Or, or I mean, for that matter, most, most Russian industry was screwed up in the sense that their, their, uh, their central command system just did, couldn't succeed in producing, you know, very high-quality stuff other than military stuff. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, the Chinese are not making the same mistakes the Russians had baked in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's pluses and minuses, but that's another that would be another podcast and probably a fairly depressing one, by the way. Uh, but uh, but we do have to take it. I mean, the, the Chinese population is the have a huge demographic problem because of the echoes of the one China policy, and that's going to cause them a lot of trouble. Well, you know, problems are relative in this world. I mean, do, do they have as many problems as the United States? Probably not. Uh, we have our own. Uh, we, we definitely different do. ones, somewhat different. Some of them are moderately the same, uh, but uh, we have we have different ones uh, to a large extent. Uh, but we're not, but 
as far as I understand, some of our best demographic problems are ones we're not even allowed to talk about at all. So, uh, uh, and I don't think that's quite as true in China. Um, I imagine their biggest problem is corruption of the Communist Party, and they're probably not allowed to talk about that. So, oh, I mean, they're allowed to, you know, that th that's actually very. That was probably I thought that was one of the mistakes with Z as president for life, and and actually, you know, they were sort of experimenting with a limited amount of press freedom, and they were hoping, hey, maybe we can catch the crooks, and they did catch quite a few, you know, newspapers. Mm -hmm. Of course, I suppose all their newspapers would also go broke. Because of online advertising, just like ours, uh, but uh, but they've cut back on that kind of press limited press freedom, and I think that was a mistake. But one thing which is apparently very common, but I don't know how to put a number on it, is that like Chinese, you know, to the extent that we involve publications about science and technology, you know, the Chinese are really happy to commit fraud. And mm -hmm. uh, now I don't know how how to put a number on it, but they do a whole lot of it. I mean. Hard as this believe, worse than we do. So they that got a, bad. The replication crisis is worse than ours. Well, our replication crisis is concentrated in social sciences, I would say. Mm -hmm. Not all of it, but it's concentrated there. And uh, I mean, only to the point where they're you know close to entirely worthless. But uh, I don't think we, you know, there's a whole lot of areas of U.S. technology where if you read an article by a guy, he's at least trying to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, and I get the impression there's an awful lot of Chinese guys who aren't. And I think it, now, there can be ways of getting around this. For example, if informally, in people in China, they know who the people they can trust and the people they can't, then you could largely get around it. I mean, that's always been true to an extent. I remember reading that, uh, says one of John Bardeen's strengths as a physicist was that we're not, we're not talking so much fraud. He had a real good sense of which experimenters could be trusted mm -hmm. as not just, you know, the report on the experiment. He said he would, you know, he knew enough of the right people. Uh, he could say, you know, things I hear from, you know, Walter over here, they're always going to be solid, etc. We need that kind of thing with these UFO reports. We need someone who could detect and, you know, talk with the military and know, okay, this sensor, this plane, this kind of report can be trusted. This is an exaggeration. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there, there's, I mean, it's still possible that there, you know, I think we discussed one of the interesting possibilities that it's not real, but it's just mass insanity in yeah. the Navy, which is a little alarming. Uh, but, uh, uh, but, you know, it's, uh, we already knew, as I said, we already knew there were other kinds of mass insanity running around. So, you know, maybe there's room for one more. I don't think that's what's happening, but I am not positive. Uh, I think if they're not insane, there's something real going on that is would be great to learn more about if we can. Yeah. Uh, uh, I have, by the way, when you're talking about, you know, should we, like, should we try to shoot one down? I don't. I've never heard of anybody trying. I think it would be unlikely. Uh, I mean, I gave you. A, I had a lot of reasons that I thought it's a bad idea. My impression is with a lot of guys in defense. They have uh, fairly similar feelings. I'm not sure it's all reason. Some of it is just saying, you know, we don't do that uh, well, without good reason first. I mean, think of the point of view of the aliens. If they send drones buzzing around our military aircraft knowing that we're in constant, you know, we're in conflict with other Earth powers, they don't tell us, like, hey, look, we're aliens, better leave us alone. 
I don't think they're good. You know, I mean, they they could be cocky and they could be right. But it they should understand they our technology. I mean, they it should be understandable. I mean, if you know, we tried Maybe. something, especially if we uh, announced first, this is what we're doing. Hey, we're about to shoot a laser well, at this show. That, that, for example, that would you can think of a set of uh, kind of experiments that would be interesting, which is you make some sort of public proclamation, right, about saying we are now going to do X and see if we see something different in response. That would mean, for example, they could read English. Or, Which, or we you know, might not be the hardest thing in the world to learn, given time. Or couldn't uh, we, like, shoot a laser at a certain, I don't know, energy level and increase it with a, a fixed pattern so it's very clear what we're about to do? Uh, so they're looking at the pattern. And so maybe, that although could... I will tell you, you know, you know, this is, you know, we have existing treaties that basically say uh, there are all sorts of things that we could do but are against treaties. So, for example... We have, it is not incredibly hard to shoot a laser at a recon satellite in a way that damages the recon satellite. And part of the reason for that is the recon satellite concentrates the light coming in. It's like the human eye. The human eye, well, for example, uh, if, you know, the sun on, on the back of your hand is not going to burn your hand. Yes. But, it, but it's focused on your retina, so you really don't want to look at the sun because it can burn your retina. Okay. For example, uh, and, a, and any observation system is kind of like that. It's unusually vulnerable because it's designed to concentrate light. Okay, so uh, if you wanted to, you could build a laser that would be powerful enough to damage a recon satellite. But we have a treaty that says don't do that ever. Okay. Uh, the idea is if you started knocking out a guy's recon satellite, the idea you're leaving him blind, so maybe you could shoot missiles and he wouldn't see it coming. It is not, it's not a crazy treaty. I mean, we have a lot of treaties that have been crazy. I don't think this one is. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, now, mind you, that treaty has never been signed by aliens. Uh, but I would think if you were a guy who had a laser uh, on his ship or at his base, you, I mean, they said, well, I looked in the regulations. What did it say about shooting at aliens? And the answer is, it doesn't say anything. But if you said, well, you know, we're not allowed to shoot at uh, other countries' drones. And things. By the way, drones are in a different category. They're not recon satellites. They're not holy. I mean, what if I got a drone and, you know, went to where our Navy keeps docked ships and launched it over our ships? Wouldn't it be shot down? I mean, I have to do uh, that. And, well, you'd probably go to prison, too. They don't want you harassing them that way. Uh, it might. But, again, it would look a lot. Part of it is, you know, these things look so weird. Uh, I mean, like, as I said, you know, have we shot down uh, drones from other countries? Sure. Uh, particularly if, you know, uh, like, you suppose you had, you know, lots of countries could afford a drone now, simple ones at least. Well, so I could afford a drone. Them. I mean, See, exactly. Uh, but let's suppose there's a, a simple thing of that sort, and it's floating over some ships in the Persian Gulf. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we'd let it get too close. No. I mean, right. right. So that You're has not, to be... It's not super provocative to shoot it down. It's not manned. Uh, yeah, I think we'd do it. I'm uh, curious. I mean, there. I'm sure there's standing order. I talked about we talked about this last podcast, but there must be standing orders above aircraft carrier to sh shoot down drones that come near you. Are they not shooting down? Well, in all of these stories, I have never heard of anybody trying. 
that strikes me, we might, that either people said, look, it's hopeless because the thing could go at speeds that are totally beyond us, one possibility, but or the other possibility is we actually have a doctrine that says, let's not shoot at aliens. How do you know that? I mean, you see a drone, do you, do you verify what... Well, if you notice, it's Chinese it's or not, around I... at 150 miles an hour as opposed to 15,000. Yeah, I mean, you could probably. I mean, I suppose, you know, let, let's suppose there's essentially no overlap in characteristics, which I kind of think is the case. Then that's not much of a question. Okay, you're right. But then there must be a doctrine, because there, there must be standing orders that you, sh you know, we must have detailed friend foe systems that, you know, they know everything that's ours. And if something's flying over your aircraft carrier that's not yours, there must be orders that you shoot it down. I, mean, I think it, there are other orders that say sometimes, uh, no, uh, I could be wrong. Uh, but, but it's interesting, because some of this stuff I think you can deduce. And I would say with high probability we have orders saying, don't go looking for trouble with something we don't understand. Uh, I could be wrong. And by the way, I could his, historically there have been individuals who would not have adhered to this. Yeah, can you imagine Curtis LeMay or something? Like, well, uh, we won't shoot that Curtis down. LeMay is more, Curtis LeMay was only talking about fucking with the Russians. He had a fair <laughs> amount of sense. Okay. I'm trying to think of, I have to think of somebody a bit crazier and stupider, but there are some. Uh, General MacArthur towards the end of his career. Uh, even he had more sense than this, but I'm trying right. to think of some of the most lunatic uh, uh, commanders. Most of those would be the lower level. Mm. Uh, uh, there's been guys who would do it. There's been guys who were complete lunatics. Uh, well, I mean, some of them were just mean. I mean, for example, uh, we this was when was this? Seventy nine. We had a guided missile cruiser in the uh, Persian Gulf, and there was an Iranian uh, uh, passenger plane that flew every day, you know, very short oh, hop yeah. from Iran over to uh, uh, a place on the other side. You know, we're talking about a 20 or 30 mile hop. Mm -hmm. And uh, this guy, we had a, this guided missile cruiser, the Vincennes. They somehow managed to confuse themselves and confuse the radar signature. Of a of a big Boeing passenger plane with uh, a little uh, bought years ago from the United States uh, bought years ago from the United States uh, fighter plane F-14 or something that and you know I don't think anybody else in the area ever managed to think this except him and a couple of his demented people on the crew but they ended up shooting down this plane and killed 300 people over absolutely nothing. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, there were some little, uh, there's some little fights going on in the background between some Iranian patrol boats, but you know, there hadn't been any airstrikes. This thing didn't look like a fighter plane. It was not the size of a fighter plane. It flew this route every single day. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things, uh, I will contrast three presidents. Uh, Reagan was president. He didn't like it. He didn't have wanted it to happen. He wasn't happy about it, and he suggested uh, that we, you know, we were It wasn't legally required, but he's we should do something for the families. You know, distribute some money to the survivor families that survived. Yeah. Uh, Congress vetoed it because we hated Iran a lot. Uh, then the next president was George uh, Bush the first. <laughs> yeah, 
And he said, we will never apologize for anything America does, even if, of course, we're guilty of sin. And he ended up giving a medal to the uh, commander of the Vincennes. Uh, and, by the way, the Navy had wanted to court-martial him because the Navy thought he was an asshole, mm-hmm. which he was. Uh, and then uh, someone else that I don't like but certainly looks a hell of a lot better than George Bush Sr. in this in this thing, which is uh, Clinton. Yeah. Years later, things have calmed down. Nobody was paying attention. He sent some money to the families. And he was right. I mean, that's all he could do. He couldn't undo it. But, uh, you know, he did He did a reasonable human thing. Reagan wanted to do a reasonable human thing. Clinton wanted to. Bush Sr., apparently he reveled in, in killing a bunch of people for no reason. I don't know what was wrong with him. Uh, but, you know, there's lots of interesting things like that that don't quite fit people's image, and people tend to edit them out as if they never happened. Yeah. Uh, I mean, of course, sometimes because the image is somebody somebody made up in a book and it doesn't even have the slightest resemblance to anything the guy ever did. But other times there are things that actually do seem sort of inconsistent. Yeah. But, I mean, back to UFOs, are, are do any strategies we haven't discussed for communicating with them or influencing their behavior? Uh... Most of the things I can think of, they have they they have a low probability of working, but they wouldn't do any harm, which is you know again the equivalent of you know naked young ladies beckoning them. I said, but you're saying they won't like it. I said, well maybe they're perverts. You know it's worth a try. Uh, uh, do I actually think that uh, it's hard to think of what they would like? The actually the idea of seeing what makes the, what they find interesting and trying to give them some more of it. You know, that's probably the closest to a creative strategy I can think of. I don't know what they'd be interested in. I mean, they're here. That's about all I can say. Um, I guess gathering more data would be important, too, to put cameras in more places. Are there any particular events or, you know, anything that happens that can be understood as tending to draw their attention? Okay, I can Mm. have a long list, like, we build something and they hover over it while we're building it. Or uh, we uh, we launch a ship. Uh, we we launch a spin. We launch a, a, a rocket. I mean, are yeah. they interested in that? Uh, we turn on a nuclear reactor. That's more advanced in some kind of important way than a lot of things we do. Would they find that interesting? I mean, I don't know. Uh, would uh, 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 spring break? Fort Lauderdale. Maybe they find that interesting. Uh, the, uh, uh, but, but the point is, if you can find any pattern, again, we're not restricted to just looking at uh, different things that the Navy did. Anything anywhere that tends to draw them, you know, that could be interesting. Uh, uh, do they, like, when we do something that's spectacularly stupid, do they like to hover it over it and laugh? I don't know. Uh, but, I mean, I don't get the impression you know, we have only very partial information, mostly from the Navy. That doesn't mean that that's where everything is happening, but some things are happening there. Could um, we build a lot of cheap sensors that could look for them over many parts of Earth? Yes. Because that might do. If they're really in the mood, they could probably mess them up. But yeah, but we could certainly do it. I mean, you know, could we? Uh, could we build systems that are designed that are aimed 
and be good at detecting them more than we currently have? The answer is, yeah, maybe yes. Something Again, that, if they really wanted to, they could probably evade them, but if they don't care, we might learn something. Yeah, it does seem the best hypothesis is they're mostly indifferent to us. and yeah, Not entirely, because, you know, we're, right. but unless they come from Mars, this is our long way from home. Uh, right? Uh, you know, there's no plausible source in the solar system. Except Atlantis, of course. Yes, or time travel. You know, maybe they're from the future. Maybe they're tourists. Uh, uh, go back and see the ancient days. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah. uh, but, but, you know, gathering lots of information and making efforts to gather more, uh, you know, maybe you'd learn something. And one of the things about, you might even, you know, try to design, if you're talking about a bigger sensor network, more size, you might even have so they at least get something else useful too at the same time, which, you know, it's not a bad thing to, to try to find uh, an extra u- practical use in case that this is all, you know, the, this is all some sort of madness. But, uh, uh, and also, again, from my point of view, none of this sounds like, uh, spoiling for a fight. Right. Which I would be very reluctant to do. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you could try that. I mean, you could try to get share information with other people who might have been having similar experiences, other countries. Uh, like one thing they're doing right now is this protocol they have for the Navy where they basically say if we have, you know, imagery of three or four types at once and a lot of it, we count, we count it as an event. All right. Yeah. That's been since 2019. They're trying to construct similar things. Which should it could basically just be about the same rules for the Air Force and for the FAA, and so there, you know, you ought, one would hope you could get cooperation bet- between services. It might—that's an interesting question. Which would be easier, cooperation between nations or cooperations between different branches of the American Armed Services? An yeah. interesting question, uh, but uh, but both would be worth pursuing if you could. Uh, and uh, I would, uh, I would be perfect. You know, you have a couple of things in mind, and you have to think about one was, like, if you had this information, and other people didn't. It might be, you know, tremendously useful uh, to the uh, position of the United States in the world. But there's also something to be said for things that are for the general benefit of the human race, which might be involve more general cooperation. Yeah. Uh, uh I mean, I guess I'd rather end up in a situation where, uh, uh, well, here's a question, and as a pure, and I've heard libertarians say the wrong answer to this, uh, like, uh, which would you rather have, like some imperfect Earth government that suddenly becomes all powerful, so we're, you know, at least somewhat subject to them, let's say Russia, mm-hmm. or or a bunch of aliens, but aliens who who have the right marginal tax rates. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, what are the aliens' I know, objectives? I know it would be. I know it would be. Uh, the, Marginal uh, tax, I mean, that's a huge amount. See, I mean, if, the, the, the neat thing about being ruled by humans is we actually have a way to relate uh, many ways. And in the long run, assuming they don't kill all of us, you know, it might turn out okay. It often has. But with yeah. aliens, I mean, you know, who knows? Ah, uh, but the tax rate implies a lot about them. That implies we can relate. They're not taking everything. They understand the, fu- the value in the future and investment. So that I've learned a lot about them if they have good marginal tax rates. 
Uh, you so, know, uh, I, re- I I once I saw this, but I sort of knew it already. Somebody was figuring out what the you know how secure was property, how possible it was to set up things like corporations. What were the marginal tax rates in the Roman Empire? They were all about as favorable as you could possibly imagine. But in terms of you know actual development, it didn't actually have much effect. Um, that gets back to what how that what the hell happened with the Industrial Revolution? Why that seemed to change everything? And we don't really know uh, the answer to that. You don't know. You, I doubt you know either. I have a strong suspicion, and I've been talking to people who are finding interesting things in ancient DNA. Okay. But wait, watch, the, this, du- watch this space. Okay? The industrial? That wasn't that long ago. I mean... You, you heard what I said. All right. Uh, uh, we'll have but, to do a uh, podcast on that. I might wait until these guys publish. I think it'll be a lot of fun. If they're still in the middle looking at it, they could be wrong, but they have some very, they see some very interesting trends. Let's just say that. And I would also have you reread uh, Greg Clark's books. Okay. Hint, hint. Uh, yeah, all right. Uh, but at uh, any rate, uh, yeah, I'm for exercising our curiosity. I'm trying to learn things. Uh, if If we have anything, I would try to put it into the most skilled and imaginative hands we can. I mean, there are, you know, there are guys who could not learn from German technology in World War II, but you're supposed to. I mean, when, they, when they're doing something useful. Uh, uh, well, NASA certainly was willing to learn from their Nazi scientists. Well, uh, all right, now, now, there, now there you've opened up a possibility I never thought of. Let's suppose these aliens are, to some extent, divided amongst themselves. Uh, After all, that, I mean, like, one thing the Indians would find is, well, there were Spanish, but there were also French, and there were also Englishmen, and, you know, there were different, there were the Dutch, there were other sides. You might be able to get somewhere by playing one off against the other. See, what we really want are alien defectors. Yeah, the universe doesn't look like that, though. It does look like there's some cartel or singleton that's saying, hey, don't disturb things. Well, but even then, there's still, I mean, like, we're leaving, uh, we're leaving the North Sentinel Island alone, but that doesn't mean there aren't all kinds of divisions inside India. It doesn't mean that there aren't yeah. divisions between India and Pakistan, between India and China. Uh, uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, like maybe we, maybe the, maybe us humans have one important lesson they've never learned. One of the more important was called "Let's you and him fight." Uh, the, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, the possibility that the aliens don't have uniform interests means it's at least conceivable that even if, you know, there's there's the general policy is one that. For example, would isolate from us or something. There might be. All you take is, uh, you know, someone or some group or some faction that has uh, that disagrees that might have something to gain by doing something different. Now, of course, like, this is a hostile act, though. If you're playing off other people against each other, that might be considered how far you go. I mean, oh. sometimes you can, you can just ask questions, and, and, and interesting things will happen. Uh, but but uh, if the aliens, they they seem they they would have some agreement not to disturb things. They would probably view us somehow trying to break up their coalition to get what we want. That could be worse than shooting down their drones. That could be the worst uh, thing we could do. 
You have to think about it. I mean, for example, what if we found somebody who's willing to tell us things in general they weren't supposed to? Uh, well, I mean, that's worse because we're not a threat to them directly. So they don't have to worry about us conquering them. But if we could turn someone on their side against them, then if, suddenly if we become some, a threat. Then we're worth exterminating. Or at least punishing. Maybe just exterminate locally. Uh, you know, vaporize whoever heard the, the news. But if we've shown we have the ability to get them to turn on each other. I have heard. I have. I think I mentioned really this earlier. But, but there's one suggestion, which is there are ways in which we could appear more harmless mostly harmless. Yes, and that is because if, let's suppose the people in power in most major countries know that it's absolutely vital that the human race has to look as ridiculous as possible. Oh, that would make that sense. Explains, that explains, you know, so it explains so many things. Yes. Uh, uh, like, we're, like we may be making secret efforts to catch up, very cautious, very secret efforts, but in the meantime, rather than provoke them, by looking like we have just, you know, picked up some crucial information, we disguise it by doing things that are pointless, destructive, and stupid. We, uh, this appears to be a several thousand year old strategy, though. I it's, mean, uh, oh, if anything, it's probably intensified lately. I don't know. We're not killing each other over whether we should have icons or not to represent See, God. But, so, but 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 part of the beauty of it is you should pick things that are incredibly stupid, but since most of the people involved are not actually trying to cause trouble, the real purpose of this is to look stupid to aliens. We should be, you know, pursuing, uh, you know, like uh, making a new compulsory ideology that's absolutely mad as a hatter, oh, come on. but without actually uh, involving shooting a lot of nuclear weapons. So... We, you know, I, I, I think this story explains itself. <laughs> I, I think our listeners know exactly what you're referring to. Uh, um, well, several different things, but yes, they'll probably at least see some of them. But yes. you want to find a way to look maximally retarded and demented. Uh, but since the people involved pushing this are actually responsible people who are trying to get an important job done, you know, who have the, the fate of, who are trying to help, trying to, preserve and, and uh, protect, you know, their country and, and, and this human, humanity in general, you know, it's, 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 it's pretend, you know, it's like we do stuff that, but we don't do stuff that has at least obvious big, you're all dead short-term implications. So we think we're sort of faking mass insanity. Yes. So, for example, we might have some, Totally insane social policy X, but it doesn't affect agriculture. You know, we're not actually uh, using Brondo to uh, to uh, 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 you know for on our crops, even though it does have electrolytes and is the thirst mutilator. Uh, we restrict it more to like zoo colleges. We might <laughs> zoo colleges. Uh, colleges. Colleges. Oh, colleges. I thought you said zoo. Okay, colleges, yes. Yes, that's where we would, uh, I, we would want, you know, people, now, now mind you, most of the people are sincere, but, you know, some of the people who allow some of these expressions and so forth and don't do much to resist it, they're doing it because, you know, it's got to be done. It's uh, the Russian term when you have a massive, uh, a massive uh, deception operation uh, was Maskarovka. Yeah. I mean, that's a cute idea, but we've had too many 
screw-ups throughout human history. Too many really dumb things. The Thirty Years' War, World War One, the Great Leap Forward that were... The fact that we managed to limit the damage to colleges and <laughs> canceling a few people, that, the, the, that's the a major fact victory. That it's, the fact that it's... Well, either that or it's because it's perfect. You know, it's... Uh, it's an act. I mean, uh, you ever heard of FUSAG, First U.S. Army Group? Uh, no, is that the, pat- the one patent? Yeah, that was the one patent. But it didn't exist. Uh, yeah. They went, a lot, they went to a lot of effort. They had fake inflatable tanks that the Germans could see from air recon. They had fake radio traffic. They had, you know, Patton was actually on the outs for having uh, slapped a couple of soldiers. So they right. borrowed him for a while to head these 40 imaginary divisions. They had uh, all sorts of German agents that they were controlling in England who were sending back information confirming the details of this stuff. The whole purpose was to make the Germans think that the landing uh, on Normandy would, A, would first not, would be somewhere else, the Pas de Calais, not Normandy. And then when it was Normandy, hopefully they think that was a diversion and we were still really going to land. And they believed it. They believed it. They kept you know, like 30 divisions out of Normandy yeah. that could have been, caused us trouble. Uh, we conned them and uh, had a good thing, too. Uh, and, by the way, one of the guys who did uh, was involved in creating some of these illusions things was a guy who later became a pretty big uh, movie producer. Uh, Anakin, I believe, was his name. Yes. He did a lot of movies later. Uh, at any rate, uh, uh, so, anyhow, you got to admit this is an appealing idea that the the powers that be are faking their looniness uh, uh, in, in order to uh, disarm the the suspicions of uh, of extremely powerful aliens that are hanging around. So was Trump in on it, or was he was the voting rigged to pick him? Of course, he's in on it. They're all in hmm. on it at the top level. I mean, well, not that Trump might not be at the top level. This, there could be this conspiracy of people who really control things, like Peter Thiel is the smart guy behind it, and he's saying, okay, it's Trump and then Biden. And, you know. I doubt if they've told Peter yet. However, he, it's entirely possible he'll hear this broadcast and, and you know, he'll go through, you know, he'll, he'll talk to some of his people at Palantir, and he'll say, it explains so many things. Yeah, if he's not in on it, it's probably not happening, though. There are all sorts of things that that I'm the only one who's in on. Well, that it's not really a conspiracy of controlling that's, the And world. that's useful, legally. Yes. When you're the only person thinking something, you're not a member of a subversive organization, because there's no organization. That's true, you're just subversive. That That is apparently not particularly legal. Most of these laws talk about... Like, you know, like if you go for security clearance, they ask you, have you ever been a member of an organization dedicated to violently overthrowing the U.S. government? They never ask. We're just going to do it all by yourself. Uh, uh, but uh, at any rate, not that I actually intend that, but I'm just saying, you know, uh, it's, it's a nice thing to know. You can think anything you want as long as you're the only guy in the club. Okay. As far as I can tell. Well, but, but anyhow, the point is there – you know, there are many possibilities for things that will change the technological world, change the balance of power. Uh, uh, I mean, there are probably things that would change how we think. I mean, one thing that has happened sometimes with some societies, at least at least I've heard this, is 
some of them feel like we're so inferior that you know we can't really compete with these guys who show up and have all the stuff we don't have all mm-hmm. the cargo shall we say yes um and i think it's a problem for some of them even more so with one of the things one of the new things we supply them is distilled alcohol yeah that causes uh, a lot of damage or it might be that you know there are certain things they did as a way of life like uh in which people could could make a living at, felt useful and successful at. They might have been out, uh, you know, hunting kangaroos. They might have been uh, making steel in Youngstown. And now all that's ended and they feel defeated. That's something, although there's other people who probably, apparently never thought that for a second. Uh, so, I mean, there, there are cultures that, that don't seem particularly bothered. I mean, for example, what if we found a new dish uh, uh, that there was something we were better at that maybe we don't even respect that much, but we're good at it? Like, what if we were excellent uh, thieves and conmen, uh, that their civilization was overly trusted or something? That could be a dish for us. You know, we could we could sell them the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, or we could work for them against their enemies that... I've seen that scenario. Science fiction has had many, you know, where they hire us as mercenaries because there is some fighting to do and they're above such things. I mean, this is actually key. Though. It, you would predict in principle that we're useless to them, but that it's they seem to be watching us. Interesting. When you think about stamp collectors, when you think about art collectors, mm-hmm. I mean, there could be things that are valuable for no earthly reason at all, or even unearthly reason. I mean... Okay. Uh, I mean, so, the mere, I mean, they, they could be like us. There could be things that become works of art because nobody likes them. See, if you, if you, if you collected something everybody likes, well, everybody else wants that. To make yourself special, you have to specialize in a kind of thing that only the recognoscente, only the refined could like because it's actually not likable. You know, yeah. kind of like, uh, pentat, you know, kind of like, uh, 12 tone music. As far as I can tell, nobody actually likes it. But there are people who pay for it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe, or, or there are people who say, I want to get away from it. You know, maybe they have the equivalent of, of, of uh, Rousseau, and they believe about the noble savage. They talked about, you know, back when men were men, and they were, uh, fly, you know, flying uh, fighter planes and going to space in chemical rockets and, uh, you know, yeah. doing simple-minded things that you could respect, like landing on the moon? Yeah. See, I think it's much more likely they're, they're just automated programs. They're not conscious in these drones flying around. Maybe they're sending back information, but they're following some algorithm. And, you know, we can well, influence but, but, the algorithm. But, but, and then we, we know the exact right thing to do, and it's still possible if we act fast. Which is to, what, shoot it down? No, we get William Shatner to talk to them and leave them all confused. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that's a good note to end the podcast on. <laughs> All right. We, we seem to be uh, um, running out of strategies for what to do. I mean, this is a hard problem because there's... We don't know enough. Yeah, we don't know enough, but it's really important. I mean, and we should... There are some basic things we mentioned that, that I think we definitely should be doing. Gathering more data and looking for patterns. Uh, I think And then that, running experiments. I think that looking at historical interactions of technologically backward peoples against others, you know, 
is at least a possible source of inspiration, and I would consider it at least as useful as talking about uh, uh, you know some of the standard SETI type approaches. Which, by the way, I'm not saying that they're not worth something, but I'll say the universe doesn't seem to look right to fit very well with those with that with that way of thinking. Yeah, it it doesn't. Uh, and and even more, I mean, like if somebody says, "Oh, there's a great filter, blah blah blah," there must be. That's why I wouldn't see anything. But if we're seeing something, but only this very limited, you know, they're here, but they haven't built everything into a Dyson sphere. Mm-hmm. Well, why not? Yeah, well, that's the great. The great filter is really what stops us from seeing. But stuff, there's a certain amount of, of optimism. They said if aliens are hovering around doing something, there probably is no great filter. Well, but what's stopping them from turning things into Dyson spheres? All right, but maybe the filter is at a later stage. Like it stops Dyson spheres, but not star travel, not civilization, not intelligence. Hey, yeah. that's better. I mean, yeah. it's better than just everything's hopeless. Uh, saying, yeah, I could live without a Dyson sphere, although I've always wanted one. Because uh, then I'd have room for my books. Yeah, okay. Well, um... And on that note. Yes. All right, well, thank you for talking to me, Greg, and uh, I'm sure we'll okay. do podcast in the future.